0: You would please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26. This Thursday, uh, we're going to be broadcasting uh, during the chapel hour. Um, a message from Matthew chapter 1 that uh, typically I preach every year uh, it has to do with Matthew's record of the genealogy of Christ and uh, if you have heard that message uh, you've probably heard it more than once but uh, if you haven't heard that message you need to hear that message and so I want to remind our, our staff that uh, that that chapel message is available uh, for this Thursday's broadcast. And I encourage you to make sure that at some point, before everybody dismisses on Friday, everybody gets to hear from Matthew chapter 1. Okay? You can work that out. I know it's a busy week, but you can work that out. The other thing I would mention to you uh, is that we still have plenty of copies of The Christmas Lamb. And if any of you students or staff want to take a copy of that, Uh, to share with a loved one back home, uh, please feel free to do so. We're not selling those, we're giving those. So they're in the foyer, and if we run out, we've got more. So um, uh, two two resources at this time of year that I want to be sure you are able to avail yourself of. All right, in Genesis chapter 26, this is God's word. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and your descendants, to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahazah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord." Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other, Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy An inspired word. Yes, I realize I didn't read the last part of the chapter. That's because it goes with the next chapter. Now, what what does this have to do with Christmas? I mean, for goodness sake. We've got poinsettias, we've got garlands, we've got all these wonderful things reminding us that we're celebrating Jesus' birth at this time of year. What does this have to do with anything? Well, the first thing is I want us to remember that God's word coming true is what the birth of Jesus is all about. Okay? It's not like we can only talk about the birth of Jesus in late December or if you're Eastern Orthodox in early January. It's not as if Um, this has no place at Christmas. We're dealing with a God who from generation to generation to generation to generation through the millennia keeps his promises. And this story is about God keeping his promises. And twice in this chapter, God tells Isaac, I'm going to keep The promise that I made to Abraham, I'm promising you. I will do this for you. And yet, the circumstances that Isaac finds himself in, even though God prospers him, the circumstances are not easy. They're difficult. Look at how the chapter starts. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. In other words, he had to move. He had to move because of a shortage of food. This wasn't just Isaac and Rebekah, he had a company of people and animals that he had to care for. What are we going to do? He wasn't starving but he recognized that they were in the midst of scarcity and it was getting worse and he wasn't going to be able to keep doing what he was doing and stay where he was. So well, I just, I don't believe that happens with God's people. Well, then read the Bible, okay? In the New Testament, you may recall a story about Mary and Joseph and the baby, well, he wasn't a baby at that point, the young child Jesus having to flee to Egypt. They had to get out of town. God told them to get out of town. Why? Because all the children, the male children, two and under in that area, were about to be slaughtered in a demonic effort on the part of a corrupt king to get rid of someone who might be a rival to his power. Messiah's been born? We can't have that. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus had to flee to Egypt. Did you know that if you do the will of God, there will sometimes be some close calls? Some difficult times? Some shortages? Sometimes when it's like, oh no, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to change circumstances. We're going to have to shift things around. Who messed up here? Nobody. God is working out his plan. So Isaac was looking where to go, and one option seemed like Egypt. And the Lord said, no, don't go there. Now, in the case of Joseph and Mary, he said, go there. But in this case, no. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. And so he stayed in the land of the Philistines. Abimelech was the king. Um, Pastor Wood, I'm sorry, but I do take notes. And um, I believe that several chapters back, uh, there was a king of the Philistines. Um, and I believe his name, well, he was, a, he was a pagan king. I remember that much. And, and, uh, and, and his name was Abimelech. And so I'm, I'm wondering if this is a mistake, maybe this story. Because the other thing that sounds familiar about this is that he's trying to pass off his wife as his sister because he's afraid they're going to kill him because she's so beautiful. And I'm thinking maybe these stories are kind of like two different versions of the same incident. And, and you know, because the names, not, not only that, but later in the chapter, Feichel's going to show up, and he's the, he's the military general. And and that was the name of the military general that Abraham dealt with. And so I'm just, and Beersheba comes up too. So I'm thinking this is probably, you know, kind of a little, one of those, one of those mistakes in the Bible. There aren't any mistakes in the Bible. Well, there are there, there are some things that seem just kind of hard to believe. <laughs> well, depending on your perspective, yes, of course. Talking snake. Woman made out of a rib. Um, I, I don't know. By the way, I'll just mention this. The woman made from a rib. I mean, because a rib's so small, how do you make a woman out of that? Right? Well, you don't if you're not God. But secondly, all of you started much smaller than that. You understand? Look up the word zygote. All of us started out so small that you wouldn't be able to see it with your naked eye. So when people say things like that, all they're doing is showing their own ignorance. And one of my favorites at this time of year is when people try and suggest that the virgin birth, primitive minds could accept that. Modern, scientifically educated minds cannot accept that. Well, that's because you don't know God. The primitive minds that you're talking about didn't accept the idea of the virgin birth either. That's why Mary said, How's this going to be? I've never been with a man. How am I going to have a baby? And the angel responded, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will conceive, and you will have a child, and he's going to be the Son of the Most High. When we approach Scripture, The thing we need to start with is the fact that this is God's word. Well, what about these these names? Well, first of all, these names were really more like titles. King after king after king after king is named Abimelech, okay? And general after general apparently is named Phicol. Does that mean that was their name? It means that's what they were called. It was their title, okay? But secondly, even if it had been their name, that would not in any way undermine the credibility of the Scripture. And so I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. This Friday, God willing, Thursday night actually, I'm going to be in Atlanta for a, a board meeting on Friday of, of my organization, Jim Wood Ministries. I'm going to stay in the home of John and Jane Hall. Precious, wonderful friends that I've known for decades. They've been close friends for decades. John and Jane Hall. They were in our church in Atlanta. Now, there was another John Hall in our church in Atlanta. But he wasn't married to Jane. He was married to Anna. So our church had John and Jane Hall, and John and Anna Hall. And I was friends with all four people, okay? Now, this Jane Hall, who was married to John Hall, not this John Hall, who was married to Anna Hall, but this Jane Hall, who was married to John Hall, should not be confused with Jane Hall, who was married to Harold Hall. They were also in our church. So Harold Hall was married to Jane Hall, Well, not this Jane. She was married to John Hall. Okay, I think I'm with you. So Jane was married to Harold Hall. Yeah, but don't confuse him with the Harold Hall who was married to Ruth Hall. They were in our church too. (laughs) So we had Harold and Ruth and Harold and Jane, but Harold who was married to Jane who was the son of the Harold who was married to Ruth, was often called Hap. So we had Hap Hall in our church, but he's the same guy as Harold Hall, the one married to Jane. You with me? So Harold and Ruth, Harold and Jane, Jane and John, John and Anna. Yeah, yeah. There's something in the records here about John E. Hall III. Oh, that must be the son of John and Jane, because we see that they have a son. He was generally called Johnny Hall, their son was. But John E. Hall III was Johnny's father. Yeah. So Johnny Hall was not Johnny Hall III? No. Johnny Hall III was the one who was married to Jane, but not the Jane who was married to Harold. Now, why am I telling you this? Because there are arrogant, conceited, would-be scholars who come to God's Word and try and say, well, that can't be right. That name's used here, and then it's used here, and it's years apart, and I just don't think that could possibly be right. There's a thing here, a question about Beersheba, and it explains in the text that wells that were dug in Abraham's time had been filled in with dirt, and now they're being dug up again, and that Isaac gave them the same names of the ones that were reconstituted that his father had given them. And there are also, apparently, some new ones coming up, and they receive names according to what happened, and that was that there was conflict over them, and Isaac decided not to fight, just move on, dig another hole, boys. But we've got Beersheba and the origin of that name, and all these things going on, and some people look at this and instead of just accepting what it says, which is God's word, they say, well, I've got to figure out what really happened. You want to you know what really happened? Exactly what God said. God does not lie. His word does not change. Science changes. When I was growing up, back in the dark ages... Butter, which I love, was unhealthy. Don't eat butter. It's bad for you. Bad for you. It'll clog up your arteries. Don't eat butter. We have a better product for you. Margarine. Okay? Be healthy. Eat margarine. Guess what? They were wrong. But don't let that concern you. It was only, science was only responsible for the death of millions of people. Okay? You're saying margarine killed millions of people. I'm saying that that and a bunch of other bad science killed millions of people. But I'll tell you, I don't worry about it because they were all going to die anyway. I'm going to die whether I eat butter or margarine? Yes. So the question is, are you ready to meet Jesus? Well, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I want to know whether or not I can have butter. Yes. We still have some margarine in the refrigerator from when my mom was alive. Uh, can we use that? No, but not because it's margarine, because it's been there too long. So I need to go by the expiration date? No, those dates are increasingly being shown to be bogus. More about marketing than it is about public health. Oh, Pastor Wood, you always make me feel so much better. I just want you to understand something. In a world that is filled with lies and ignorance, God's word remains true. So if you want to know what this season is about, read the Bible. And if you want to know what the rest of the year is about, read the Bible. And if you want to know what life is about, read the Bible. And believe it. And obey it. Now, a couple of things here we got to deal with. Isaac, Obeyed God and stayed in the place he was supposed to stay. But he followed in his father's footsteps, lying in order to try and protect his life. Not in order to try and protect his wife, which still would not have been right. But his first concern was for his own safety. Mr. Rudd, that's just uh, that's just wrong. Yes, it is. It's also extremely human. I took my wife to Wingersheik Beach when I was in seminary. Wingersheek Beach is north of Boston. The ocean water off of the Massachusetts coast is painfully cold. It really is. Some people go in the water. Lobsters live there, too. I'm not afraid of lobsters, but what I'm telling you is they're designed for cold water. I'm not. And so, on this particular day, we found that the waters at Winger Chic Beach were amazingly warm, mild, comfortable, southern feeling. And so, we went out into the water, and it was wonderful. The water was clear. You could see the bottom. And there was this long section off the beach where it was relatively flat. And the waters were calm that day. And the sun had baked on those waters and warmed them up. And it was so wonderful. I was having the time of my life I hadn't experienced that kind of water since I was a kid going to the beach in Carolina. Oh, it was wonderful. And so we went out a significant distance from shore and I was getting further and further out. I was basically up almost to my shoulders and my wife didn't want to be quite that far out. And I was saying, oh, come on, come on. She said, no, there there might be jellyfish or things like that. I said, no, not up here. I said, they're all down south. We don't have to worry about stuff like that. And she said, well, I just don't want to go any further. And I said to her words that will live in infamy. Don't be a ninny. And she said, Jim, look, and pointed just past me. And I turned and looked, and here came a school of sharks, none of which had been to the orthodontist. Their teeth were totally visible as they're swimming toward us. I mean a school of sharks, not a shark, but a school of sharks. Now, I am not a student of sharks. And it would turn out that these sharks were not the sort that typically attack people and kill them, or even sever limbs. But I couldn't tell that just looking at them. And when I saw them, my first concern was for protecting my precious wife. No, I wish I could say that. But instead, when I saw those sharks, I prayed one of the most sincere prayers and one of the shortest that I've ever prayed. I said, God help! And I dove into the water and began to swim for shore. Now, my wife was between me and shore, but she wasn't that much ahead of me. And I mean I'm swimming with everything I'm worth and I'm a lousy swimmer. And I'm swimming and kicking and waiting to feel those steel vice teeth go into my leg. And it didn't happen. But after a bit of swimming... I heard my wife's voice from above the waves saying, Jim, try walking. (laughs) And I raised my head out of the water and saw that my wife was about twice as close to shore as I was, and she wasn't swimming, she was walking. (laughs) I just want you to know, I'm a real Manly man. Well, I stood up and looked back and didn't see the sharks anymore. But I was very embarrassed at what a terrible swimmer I am and at what a pathetic husband I was in that moment. And when I read this story about Isaac... I think shame on him. I hope I would never lie and try and pass off my wife as my sister, risking her rather than myself. Never been in that situation. But I'll tell you this. I'm comforted by the fact, because I do have other failures, that God did not say, well, Isaac, I'm done with you. I gave your dad a pass because at least his wife was his half-sister, but you have no such excuse because this woman isn't even your half-sister. You just flat-out lied in order to protect yourself. But God didn't do that. Instead, God again appears to him and says, I will keep my promise. I will keep my promise. Folks, that's what Christmas is about. God keeps his promises. That's what the cross is about. God keeps his promises. He sent his son, born of a virgin, sinless lamb of God, who was the fulfillment of all the sacrifices that went in the Old Testament. All of that pointed to him. Everything about this pointed to him. And listen, listen to what God says to him. He says, I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you. Through... Your offspring, all nations on earth, will be blessed, verse 4. One day, around the throne of God, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Even when we fail, Even when we do not do what we should do or do what we should not do, it does not change who God is. And God is a God who keeps his promises. So, when you read this story or other stories in the Bible, And there are things that you don't understand. You don't have to. I pray before I study the scriptures and say, Lord, show me what I need to know. I don't need to know everything. Late last week, I went to a place I've never been before in Jasper, Georgia. It was a remote location or a wedding venue where I was to perform a wedding. If you look on a map, you will see all sorts of places in that part of Georgia where I have never been and do not aspire to go. But I just needed to know where I was supposed to be. I just needed to do what I was supposed to do. You don't have to know everything. You won't. I don't. But we need to know the God who does know everything and who knowing everything about us sent his son to save us. Are you trusting in him? Or are you still trying to figure it all out before you make up your mind? Trust him. Trust his word. Trust Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that your word is true, that you never lie, that you always, always, always work all things together for the good of those who love you. Even a food shortage. Even a geographical relocation. Even the things that people do wrong. Thank you that you are faithful and that we do not have to be afraid. You told Isaac, do not fear. And you prospered him so greatly that the pagans were afraid. Thank you, Lord, that whether in plenty or in want, You are enough. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.